0: The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NIRA, the Northeast Human Resources Association.
1: Welcome to The Hennessy Report by Keystone Partners. I'm Dave Hennessy, and today's guest is Carlos Echelar, the CHRO of CDM Smith. Carlos is also the president of the board of NERA, and in fact, we start this episode by talking about NERA and what he's excited about for the association and the HR function. He also discusses the success of the executive HR women's program that NERA puts on every year. Then we go on to talk about CDM Smith and how they attract and retain STEM workers and how they've been able to do it in a gender-balanced and diverse way, as well as how they build careers for their employees. In fact, their CEO started as an intern and worked his way up all the way to the top of the organization. So, great story, and Carlos is a great speaker, and I'm glad to be a colleague of his on the board of NERA. In fact, we have a couple NERA events coming up this month. One tomorrow, the Talent Acquisition Summit. I think there's still a couple seats if you want to sneak in. And also on the 31st, we have the D&I Awards Gala and Abby Wambach as the keynote speaker. So hope to see you at those events. Our next guest on the podcast is Sharnita Williams from Southern New Hampshire University. And now our conversation with Carlos Eshelar.
0: Carlos, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dave. Eh? Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Here we are in uh, Newport, Rhode Island for
0: our first in-person event at NERA. And it seems like about two years, almost two years. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it's just so fabulous to be able to see everybody and to be able to feel like the communities are getting back together. It's it's great time to be here. It
1: really is. And 350 people. Amazing. Uh, great kudos to Tracy and the team getting Definitely. everybody here and all the HR people that were committed to coming here. Of course. We're going to talk about the NARA conference, but first, we want to find out about our guest here. And as we always do, we want to know a little bit about an earlier life experience that
0: informs who you've become as a professional today. Probably one of the most important impacts in my life was when I had the ability to be able to help support our people overseas. Uh, at one point in time, I had 3,000 people who were supporting the warfighter and trying to be able to do work in Afghanistan and Iraq in a way to be able to protect our soldiers and Marines and military service. And during that time, many of these individuals that I had to deploy there, their purpose was to be able to help those people primarily as linguists and translators. But they had to have a skill set and they had to be the ones that had to have an impact. Mm-hmm. So every person that I sent overseas to help had to be able to know that that was going to be something that was going to be critically important to help save lives and to support our troops.
1: Yep, so much on the line, right, with Definitely. team. That's great. And then going back to the conference here, you had your first role as president of the board and given an intro speech to first keynote, Janine Letford. But you did a very nice intro. And one of the things you talked about is how proud you are of the NERA team in the HR community and our membership staying very strong during this pandemic. Really happy to be under your leadership and your new presidency. So congratulations.
0: It's a privilege to be able to be part of this organization through the years and now to be able to take on this role is is an honor for myself and the profession. I, I'm really happy to be able to be part of this organization. And actually, you're the fourth president of the
1: NERA board that we've had on the podcast. Of course, Ed Hurley-Wales, then Lorraine Goff and Cynthia Ring. And and now we have Carlos Echelar. So great to have you here. So let's talk a little bit about what excites you about NERA. As we come out of the pandemic, what are some of the things that you're really proud
0: of and looking forward to? Number one, the organization is top notch we attract people who have a passion for the profession. That's why we have 350 people here. We've grown our membership, as you've mentioned, through the last year, and it gives us an opportunity to be able to expand into not only to HR community, but to any business community member who wants to be able to know more about the aspects of people and the impact that it has. One of the key things that we certainly have seen is there is a need to continuously improve the skills and the knowledge of our individuals not only in the profession, but what's expected of of us in our organizations. One of the key areas that certainly has come to light over this period of time is the importance of succession and ensuring that we have the ability to be able to move forward. What NARA has done is has given opportunities to be able to develop, design, and deploy programs such as our Executive Women's Program, which focuses on that opportunity for up-and-comers within the organization, high contributors, to be able to achieve a role such as mine as a CHR of an organization, and to be able to have the skill set. It's so well-rounded. It gives you an opportunity to be able to not only have, a call it the toolbox types of things, but also be highly supportive by having mentors. I was a mentor. You were a mentor. It gives everyone the opportunity to be able to be supported by others. And I served as a mentor during the period of time to be able to ensure that individuals who are going through the program understood what it takes to be able to be in the role, because clearly it is a different role. Anyone feels that can certainly climb in their career ladder, but it's a big step from that, I'll call it number two position or more of a functional position to the number one position of a, a lead HR person for an organization. And this program, i would say is a leading program to be able to support those people with all the components that you will not see in other programs across america in fact we've even had opportunities to be able to work with other organizations in other parts of the us i think it was the dallas sharp chapter has adopted the the program as well exactly they have been so impressed by the structure of the program and the delivery of the program and the success of the outcomes of that program.
1: But what I heard from some of our board meetings that almost 60% of the people have elevated to CHRO, CPO positions, or increased their responsibility and role through the yeah. program.
0: Yes, uh, and I think they've taken what they've done and have allowed that to be encouraged to the people who are potentially the next level right. of individuals. So this is an ongoing process. And what they do is they point back to NERA as the organization that seems to have the best knowledge of what makes somebody successful as they fly it up into those types. of Yeah, meetings. we've had a few of our guests on the podcast who are people that
1: were participants in the program or mentors or part of the training, actually. So it's pretty
0: cool. What <laughs> other things are exciting to you about Nira and our vision for the future? I think one of the things that Nira does is it creates communities, whether it be a community based on a particular function within HR or a greater community of what the purpose of the role is. Bringing all the aspects of HR, human capital, talent management, or just a sense of people programs into light that really impact where we should be, which is helping our business succeed for the future. It's not a situation where, oh, we're here just to help HR people. It's we're here to be able to make the organizations in which our members serve be more successful. And I think that is such a fundamental piece in our mission whether it be through networking, whether it be through formal programs, or whether it be informational, just so that they're in the know and are able to apply it sooner. Well said. Well,
1: that's your uh, part-time job, right? So let's talk about your full-time job. You are the CHRO of CDM Smith. Tell us a little bit about what you do in in the world. Sure,
0: I've been very fortunate. I've, I've worked in many different industries over my career, and CDM Smith was one that I joined about six years ago. And what really interests me is, once again, the mission. c Smith is an engineering and construction company. We primarily focus on infrastructure and environmental types of services. We do about 3,000 projects a year with about 5,500 employees worldwide, 125 offices, but we're privately held Hmm. and owned by our employees, and that's what gives us the power to be able to do what we want to do as an organization. We are coming up to our 75th anniversary, headquartered in Boston, grew up in Boston. We focus on areas such as environmental transportation, infrastructure, and working with some of our industry clients. Could you give us an example of what it looks like? Where have we seen CDM Smith work? Practically every water treatment plant around the United States, CDM Smith has been involved in. Wow. You know, the case in Detroit and Flint, Michigan, where they were having the situation a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. They called us first to be able to come in to be able to help them do that. But right now we're building the largest water treatment plant in the world in Houston. It's a $1.8 million plant. Hmm. And we do quite a bit to be able to help support any type of infrastructure or transportation types of activities as well.
1: And a global so, company privately held, wow. Yeah,
0: it's, it's a great organization. And our former CEO had a, a common line, which I loved, was organizations like Google and Yahoo make people's lives easier. At CDM Smith, we make people's lives better because water and infrastructure is such an essential piece to everyday life. And as we know from history, wars have been fought over access to water or other types of things. And certainly we bring those things to places that have never had running water work in our project right now out in the southwest with an Indian reservation that has never had running water. You know, I've
1: heard about some of the the reservations don't have a lot of infrastructure, electricity and water. Yeah, maybe you told me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's something to be very proud of, to be able to make sure that we're doing it right and that we're supporting the communities where we work and live.
1: Talking about HR a little bit here, culture, what's important to you about the way people work at CDM Smith?
0: First of all, our CEO started as an intern and he's been with us for 29 years, and he believes that our culture is core to the success of the organization. But what we do beyond our culture is ensure that everybody understands that the core values of the organization are critically important. Collaboration and teamwork doesn't happen naturally. You have to be able to make sure that you're working very closely. I grew up playing sports. When I played soccer for many years, I was one of 11 players. And if I didn't play my position, didn't know what skills I needed to have and how I contributed to the success of the the team, we wouldn't have been able to do what we needed to do to win or to be successful. It's the same thing within our culture.
1: Mm. It sounds like one of the values is to promote from within and develop from within, because I imagine your CEO likes to see other people that started where he is also
0: find that career path. He really does. And, you know, we are in a STEM field that allows us to be able to do amazing things. But you have to have the right people around you. And you also have to be able to source and be able to get the right skill set and mindset and beliefs. We have a limited pool of candidates to be able to come into our organization, and especially around diversity. We had 110 interns this past summer and 60 of them were women and in stem that is hard to do right yeah. yeah coming out of the universities and and colleges and technical programs the output is about twenty two, twenty three 23 percent female mm. and for people of color it's about 17 or 18 percent so for us to be able to sustain over one-third of our population are female and almost a third are people of color is tremendous how are you able to do it, Carlos? Can you give some people sure. your secrets? <laughs> you know what? It's getting people introduced to what our company is all about. And once people hear the story and once people get the interaction, mm. they feel that that is exactly what they are looking for. Our CEO constantly says, we hire for careers, not jobs. And we will tell people from the beginning, understand We don't want you to come in here and feel like we're going to hire you for a particular job or a particular task. This is something where we want you to be able to grow and evolve. Mm -hmm. Whatever the generation may be resonates with that. Really, I, I was wondering, it seems
1: like the trend is the opposite, right? Like we're hearing the trends are people move much more quickly. They come in, they leave. So what is it that they hear or see
0: that makes it work for you? I think it's respect for the person. I think it's respect for what makes them successful beyond just being inside our walls. So the importance of family, the importance of being able to make sure that we're taking care of our staffs, that they're getting the things that aren't going to keep them up at night so that they can focus on the things that are important to us. So having well-rounded learning and development, having great benefits, having the ability to be able to encourage people to spend time with families and do the things that are important for them. Some industries create a lot of stress. We do a lot of work that can be stressful, it can take long hours, Mm -hmm. but we recognize that the individuals within our organization have to be able to be supported by the people who make them successful.
1: And how do you scale it? You know, you said it was Boston founded. I'm sure it was easier in the early years, but now you're so geographically dispersed employees all over. How do you leverage it and scale it internationally?
0: That's one of our challenges as we decide how we're going to move forward. We were very fortunate in the last 19 months during the pandemic. We hired 1900 people, all virtual. Our internship program, 100% virtual. Hmm we needed to be able to ensure that when people decided to come and discuss and talk about opportunities with us, everyone had a consistent story and everyone had a consistent attitude about why it was important to be able to communicate to this person across the table what made CDM Smith different. There are lots of engineering construction companies out there. We are one, probably because of our size, have the ability to shift and pivot, but what it Allows us to do most, and with our private ownership, is we make the decisions that are right for our people. Wall Street isn't saying because you had a bad quarter,
1: you have to do something different.
0: Right. right? I mean, we still have the same measurements. We know how our costs are. We know what we need to be able to do to be able to support the things that keep the company going. But we say core to Mm -hmm. our people and what's important for them to be successful. Well, you work in water, but one of the real challenges over the last
1: year and a half is air, right? You're talking about the pandemic, and you touched on it. You went virtual. As you look to come out of the pandemic, we're coming back to the office more and more. What's CDM Smith's approach? Are you hybrid? Is it flexible work? Right. You want everybody back in?
0: You know, mandates of vaccines? On March 16th of last year, uh, myself, and my general counsel, we pulled our executive team together with our CEO and, and the other executive team members, and we looked at our CEO and said, We need to send people home. And he looked at us and said, for how long? We said, two weeks. (laughs) And he's like, really? I said, yes. There's too much going on. 15 days to flatten the curve. Right, exactly. (laughs) That wave is coming from Europe and we need to know that we can get past it. He said some words that still resonate with me. He said, to everybody in the room, this decision is going to change this company. And we all paused like, it's two weeks. Yeah. Come on, Tim. And he said, "No, we are going to send within the next 48 hours 5,500 employees to 5,500 new work locations. And how are we going to do this? 5,500 offices.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> how many? How many offices right?
0: enough? <laughs> right. And so, and we had we have field people who do work right, uh, right, out there, right? right? So they still had to be able to do that because they were essential. Right. One of the commitments that we made as an executive team during this period of time was we were not going to lay anybody off or furlough anybody because of the pandemic. We made a personal investment to be able to ensure that going through this, we would get a return on making that decision because our people would respect us as an employer who cared about our people. Other companies, our competitors immediately took us an opportunity to furlough people or lay people off to reduce operating costs and do things, we said, no, we're not going to do this because it's too critically important to be able to sustain what we want to do. And we trust our people and all of our managers have to have empathy for what people are going to be going through. And we supported that all the way through the process. So to this day, formally aligned to COVID, we have not laid anyone off or furloughed anybody. And added 1,900. <laughs> and added 1,900. Yeah, globally. And, and that, was, that was a big deal. We have people in India who clearly the vaccine and everything else hadn't caught up to where a lot of other areas were. Yeah. And it was important for us to keep those people safe. That's great. And Going back to work, a lot of people like not having to
1: wake up at 5.30 to go into a city like Boston, you know, right. for an eight o'clock meeting and have to plan
0: on an hour and a half commute. And what is your plan? In the engineering construction business, the number one theme is health and safety. And that's what we wanted to be able to focus in on as we started to go through this. We made a decision that we were move to an ability to be able to enhance our flexible work option program. Mm-hmm. And for the people who work. Typically in the office, we would allow them to only need to be in the office a maximum of two days a week. And that's that's your go forward plan. That is the go forward plan. Oh, wow. Plan. That's great. Others, you can have choice. You can certainly ask for a, a much more robust type of program. But we may have heard the saying before, we work and me work. Yeah. Right. The, the we work is when you need to be collaborative and be able to work with teams and be able to do projects and those type of things, which is critically important to our business. Right. And the me work is the things that I'm not dependent on others. So we took that seriously and said, then what is the the happy balance between those two focus areas? And we said we will have the ability for people to decide how often they need to come into the office to be able to support that.
1: Some people are going all the way back, mandatory back. Some are saying, you never have to come back. You're somewhere in the middle with some flexibility.
0: And what about vaccines? Are you requiring that, House? We are a federal contractor, Mm -hmm. and certainly we will always monitor whatever legal aspects that we have to abide by, whether it be at the federal level or at the local level. We've made a decision that we will be mandating vaccines for all U.S. employees across all of our locations. Mm -hmm. That doesn't allow for testing. It requires everyone to get a vaccine or to go through an exemption process. And we know that's a game changer. we know that people have different beliefs and we respect those beliefs, but we also know that we have to be able to make sure that we abide by this for our business. Mm -hmm. And this is not a position where the company is taking it because of a belief of the company. We are following what the client has told us to do. Right. But on the other hand, we also know that the vaccine does have its merits. We know that it's important in helping the livelihood of others. And so we've continued our communication since the vaccine rollout has happened to encourage people to be greater aware of what types of things are out there. Another job for HR, right? This has become managing remote work, managing vaccines. It's all under the function. It's a different form of change management. And so much of the function is required to be able to ensure that your community of employees understands that these types of decisions have to be made at times. Carlos, I know from working with
1: you on the board that you are somebody that isn't a information and data and analytics, how do you use that in practicing HR and helping your organization?
0: We all have to have an understanding of what impacts top line and bottom line types of impact. We are a data analytics type of company because of our engineering and and scientific type of structure. You're already bent that way, right? right? Yeah, right. You know, everybody wants to know, once again, the why Mm -hmm. and prove it to me and understand what's happening. Well, From an HR perspective, you also need to be able to apply that to be able to help the business to move forward. Clearly, the number one cost for organizations is the cost of labor. What we want to be able to do is maximize how our labor works. So by using data analytics and using things like artificial intelligence and our ability to be able to start understanding predictive analysis and understanding the characteristics of how people work and the impact that they have on the type of work that they do, most of our work is billable work and time with the client our ability to be able to ensure that we have the people with the right skills at the right time and be able to perform the work that they need is critically important but what you need is you need to understand all the characteristics and elements that comes with data so what i've done is be able to look at those types of aspects and not only and look at it from the full life cycle of employees So how do we recruit people? How do we onboard people? How do we take them from hire to retire and ensure that they're going to be successful? And what are each one of those elements that go and the data that supports it?
1: That's great. Well, of course, we at Keystone produce the Henderson Report podcast in cooperation with NERA. And here we are at the NERA convention. And we have a question from one of our NERA members, Lexi Cantor. She runs the HR function at Ovia Health. She said, what was your career path to becoming CHRO?
0: I started out as a technical recruiter. A lot of HR people started in recruiting, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I've got a daughter who's in, in recruiting, right? For me, one of the things that that taught me was be as smart as you can in the job that you have to be performing. Understand how you get ahead of the game, understand how you move, how sometimes you have to zig, sometimes you have to zag. Once I started going into a more I'll call it disciplined career path of HR. I had to be able to make sure that my toolbox was appropriately full. I played different types of functional roles led at the unit level. You tried to really reach into the business. Early on, I worked for TRW and TRW had one of the best HR organizations ah. in the United States. Mm. I started out with a lean and mean type of mentality, started out as an HR manager, had over 2,000 employees just to myself. And the success of that really came from depending on my colleagues and others to be able to, to do what needed to be done. But also, my managers were super smart. They knew how to be able to handle things And when they needed me to be able to get them through the challenging things or the strategic things or the things that needed to make them more successful, they would come and knock on my door and we would have a conversation of how to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. That is stuck in my head all the way through. So when I go through and I'm developing my team or, or supporting the importance of how we deliver our programs to the organization, it's all about making sure that you understand who's on the other side of the table, and be able to grow in that. And I've seen several of my former colleagues, as well as people who have worked for me, who are now CHROs.
1: Yeah. In fact, Karen Anderson was um, on our podcast, one of our fellow board members, and she said the same thing. That's one of the proudest things she has in her career is that people that have worked for her become head of the function. So yeah. that's great. If you could write a letter of career or professional advice to your 25 or 30 year old self, Carlos. Dear Carlos, what would you write?
0: always remember the people around you to help you be successful. It's the team sport. whether it be from your family and friends to your colleagues. You cannot be successful as one person being on an island.
1: What's something interesting about you that we wouldn't find on your executive bio or your LinkedIn profile that you're willing to share? I was a spinning
0: instructor for 15 years. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. And it was probably one of the Not only rewarding physically and mentally, but it was one of the best jobs that anyone could have because you could have an incredibly hard class, you can yell at people, you can tell them that they're slackers, (laughs) and then at the end of the class, they thank (laughs) you.
1: Are the only places you can do it. And you get a good workout out, out uh, of uh, it too, yeah. right? And you get staying stay in fit. Right. How do you stay fit now? Do you still get on the bike? Is that still your thing or is it- I do.
0: I'm a big cyclist. Yeah. Uh, I probably Peloton 25 plus days a month. Yep. I push myself hard and I I know that it's important. And it's not only important for physical, but it's important for mental health. Absolutely. I mean, right. our communities and what we're going through right now, mental health is such an important factor and, and we need to encourage wellness, Across the board, so we have to be champions for that. And we have to encourage all of our leaders to be champions as well.
1: And if you could go to dinner with any person who you've never met before, who would it
0: be? Benjamin Franklin would be one that I would
1: love to be with, you know, that would be my answer too. Yeah. I mean what a life. I mean, he did everything.
0: You could always bond to something that he did during his his time, and he was one that didn't take anything for granted. He always wanted to improve. He always wanted to look at ways to be able to encourage others to be more successful. What a great man, and certainly one that I think if you don't know him, you should read more about him. Yeah, great founding father. Carlos,
1: so great to have you on the podcast, and congratulations again. Well, thank you. The new president of the board of MIRA.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.